Welcome everyone to the CEO.Digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guests on the CEO.digital show are Kurt Freire, Deputy Director of Information Management and Technology, as well as the CTO of Norfolk County Council. He's also the Vice President of Societum. I've also got uh, alongside him Chris Voce, the customer engagement strategist at Citrix. And what they both have in common is their passion for people and innovation. With over 24 years experience in technology, each of them, not between them, each of them, they both enjoy parts of their job that allow them to explore, innovate, and encourage those around them to do the same. Chris was a former Forrester vice president and research director, while Kurt has been with Norfolk County Council for almost 19 years now. It's a, a pleasure to have you both here. Uh, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is exciting. Very much so. I think the best place to start is just so we can get a, a flavor for who you are and um, for our guests, uh, you know, what you've been up to, where you're working currently, what your role entails. And so, Kurt, I'll, um, I'll start with you and then, Chris, uh, you can go next. Well, thank you. So for my day job, I'm Deputy Director of IT at Norfolk County Council, a large county council in the east of England, and I run the operational ICT service. But I wear two hats. I'm also Vice President of Socketim, Society for Innovation, Transformation and Modernisation in the UK. Running operational services is interesting and fun. You know, we look after the business of the county council, fire and rescue services and things like that. But I also really interested in innovation. I've got some exciting projects that I'm working on. Great. Thank you, Kurt. I think we'll definitely uh, dive into some of that experience following some of the questions. And Chris, what about yourself? Do you want to do a quick intro? Yeah, certainly. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Uh, Chris Bochi, a customer engagement strategist with Citrix. And so my role is I help support engagement with leadership teams of you know Citrix customers, helping them you know understand, embrace uh, experience and helping them ensure, you know, their employees have what they need, you know, the technology they need to do their best work. And I help feed some of those, you know, so I both, you know, help create content or do workshops, you know, doing things like uh you know, design thinking workshops with customers, you know, and also help feed some of those insights back into Citrix and so help uh, shape how we go to market and how, uh, you know, we engage with our customers. So the idea to get you both onto this panel stemmed from some work that we did behind the scenes. We ran a bit of a survey to look at the future of work. And before we tackle that meaty topic, you know, I wanted to speak to you both about your experience over the last three years. Obviously, you have been and seen plenty of disruption. What was your experience like and how is it different from other disruption you've seen in the past? Kurt? Yeah, I love both of these subjects, to be honest. The main thing for me is things have significantly changed. Where we've seen like we've had projects and programs where they've had like a timeline of, say, 12 months or more, over the last few years, what with the pandemic and, and other things happening, we've seen those significantly accelerated. So 
if we look at uh, one particular one where we wanted to get onto this type of technology, where we've got uh, video calling and things like that, what our original project was going to be 12 months. And we ended up delivering it in six weeks. And actually, and we're no worse off. In fact, we're a lot better off. So we've proven to ourselves that things can change. You can disrupt things and you can do things differently. And that's had an impact on the way we think as an organization and it has an impact on, on what we've got planned for our strategy and our roadmaps for the future. It has certainly changed our risk appetite and it's also changed the way we engage with suppliers as well, which is quite important because actually they're on the same journey as us. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris, um, you come to the, the conversation with a slightly different hat being from a sort of tech vendor. You know, what have, how have you seen the last three years um, from a Citrix perspective? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, I think even just describing it, turbulent, exciting, you know, and even prior to this, you know, in my prior role, I worked for Forrester uh, Research, so engaged with leaders like, you know, Kurt and other customers for years on uh, employee experience, employee technology. And, you know, you know, I think, you know, just as Kurt was saying, you know, this was a period of rapid transformation. You know, some of the things that we've been talking about for years, all of a sudden, you know, no longer were options. They were must-haves. You had to do it. You know, we had to enable fl more flexible hybrid work for people. It wasn't even hybrid. I mean, they just fully remote. You know, I think the best way to describe it, and we've seen a couple of, um, I say things, you know, happen in phases, you know, just as, you know, as I'm sure Kurt experienced and he described, you know, there was this rapid, you know, oh my goodness, we have to send everybody home, but work still needs to happen. You know, we need to support people emotionally, making sure that, you know, they stay connected. So we've been having to reshape, you know, there's this rapid period of, you know, caring for people as individuals, you know, developing greater empathy, but also having empathy for how they get work done. So quickly getting them some Band-Aid solutions, get people back to work and productive, you know, and then, you know, we moved into a period where we had to shore things up. You know, maybe, you know, things weren't as secure as we might like. They weren't as stable, but, you know, we were rapidly trying to get things done. And, you know, people like Kurt, you know, were the heroes in their organization. You know, it was really exciting to work with them. And now where we've been, I'd say, in the last year is more transitioning to a period where, you know, people are thinking more long term. Okay, how do I become more flex? You know, what does flexibility mean? You know, what does hybrid re work really mean? You know, in my organization, you know, offering employees more choice and you know, rethinking culture, physical space, technology. You know, I don't think there's been an exciting you know few years. You know, and it's it's hard to use a word like exciting because there's a lot of different emotions and experiences people have had, but certainly lots happened. Yeah, and there's um, you know, now that the dust has settled. <laughs> What's next for hybrid work and, and how much does culture play into that, Chris? It's a good, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really glad you started with culture because I think that's been the hardest thing to tackle, you know, because again, I think what happened, you know, just as human beings, you know, they're, you know, we naturally are driven, you know, we like accomplishment, we like getting things done, you know, there's some great, you know, there's a great body of science and work, you know, that prove that as human beings, what motivates us is actually making accomplishment, even more so than a lot of the extrinsic things that we talk about, like, you know, pay, perks and bonuses, we like to get things done. An important part of that, you know, follow, say, like Mihaly Sesemiai's work around flow and human productivity engagement. One of those key ingredients in his work was popularized by Daniel Pink in the book Drive. One of those key ingredients was autonomy. And so having more choice in how things get done, where I work, that has, 
you know, I think it's been an eye opener for a lot of individuals. You know, a lot of us haven't had a lot of autonomy, you know, forced, you know, to be in an office, you know, even if that may or may not be the right, you know, most productive place for me to be. And now that we've had a, you know, a taste of autonomy, you know, I think a lot of the companies have had to adapt their culture to allow for greater autonomy. That's why hybrid work has become so you know prevalent for all of us today. We've had a taste of it and people don't want to give that back. And what about you, Kurt? Is that something that you agree with? I do, but there's one big word, that one small word, which jumps out at me in a big way around this, and it's trust. We've got um, thousands of people working at home in just our organisation, and many other organisations, including Chris's, are doing the same. And in the past, I think if you weren't seen in the office doing the work, you weren't working, apparently. But the reality is things have changed in the way we work with our staff and, and our staff work with us in terms of the flexibility that they enjoy now it works both ways doesn't it so I feel like people are giving more and they don't have to you know they're working from home they're giving more they're giving up their own space they're giving a lot of the time but there again they don't have to commute so there is a balance but what we're seeing is people have been trusted more and been measured and they're discussing outcomes rather than actually are you in the office which is a really healthy way to be so I think the world is progressed and matured in that sense but Chris also you you mentioned about looking after people and that's an important point of this because it's not all about technology and and what we do it's about making sure we are looking after people so they can deliver but also they can do more of course also we want these people to carry on working for us and, and to progress and that comes from little things like making sure their working environment is suitable, you know, in terms of the hybrid tech, in terms of space, in terms of they got a proper chair, a desk, all of those sort of things. And many organisations like ours considered that work environment. And what could we do for our employees? So we took an initiative to allow people to dip into a fund of up to £250 each. It's probably about $300 <laughs> each to ask for stuff to make their home environment better and their work environment. And people just dipped into it, got an odd chair, got an odd desk, got a new monitor or whatever. And I think that bought a load of uh, trust that way back to us in terms of people being able to work from home looked after. The other thing we're, we're now concerned about is making sure that we're looking after people mentally as well. Because some people thrive on working from home i think i do and i suspect from the way chris is talking positively he probably does but there are some people whose home environments aren't suitable or they don't like that so you know we need to allow that flexibility but yeah absolutely and on that chris i mean is that so do you enjoy working from home and all that flexibility and have you seen sort of different of opinions from your staff and people, I guess, working in your teams? I think you're right. There's a lot of diversity in how people feel. I like working from home. I like working in spaces with people. You know, I, I'm someone who also thrives on the energy of, you know, being in a room with individuals, doing a workshop last week at the Citrix headquarters in Fort Lauderdale. And, you know, I always walk away from those days, you know, exhausted, but a lot happier, you know, re-energized. So, you know, I think the, um, you know, part of hybrid work is, you know, again, you know, we, we talk about choice and autonomy and it's about, uh, you know, bringing more intelligence into those choices, you know, more refinement so they can make smarter decisions about, you know, the outcomes, you know, that we're looking for as individuals, as businesses, as teams. And I think that's a lot where a lot of the hard work is right now people trying to find like, okay, what, what is the right balance? What are we trying to do? How can we get there collectively as individuals and as a team? 
one of the subject matters that came up in the survey that we ran was the sort of move towards hybrid maturity, uh, which is a, a slightly newer word or newer phrase that I've heard recently. You know, it was the future of work and hybrid work. But but what does hybrid maturity mean for you and, and how would you define that? Is that something that you're working towards as well, Kurt? What it means to me really is, you know, there's several components to this. There's the technology, of course, you know, have, have you got the right tools and, and things to enable you to work in a hybrid way? And I think if you, if you looked a year ago, many organisations or a year and a half ago wouldn't have had the right tech. Because as some people then start to migrate back to the office, maybe for one day a week, two days a week, you've still got those people working from home, you want to pull into meetings. So in its rawest sense, you, you want to get people talking and working together. You've got to have the right tech to do it. The second is you've got to have the right attitude and maturity in your organisation to trust these people, to enable it to work. But also you need the, the will of your staff to be sensible about some of these things. You know, if we need to go in the office to have a chat or go and do a workshop, as Chris has said, I've got no problem doing that. You know, I've been in the office twice in the last two years and they were for good reasons, but I don't need to go, I won't. But being sensible about it, you've got that. But the longer term vision for me is, you know, you we've got to be mature in terms of you can work from anywhere, it doesn't matter. The technology just works and everybody's on board with that approach that's what we're all doing whether you work for norfolk county council whether you work for citrix or whether you work for someone else what about you chris what does hybrid maturity mean for for you and uh, citrix yeah certainly so you know, you know as part of some of the work we've been doing worked with a lot of different employee experience leaders around the world and you know i think to an to a person, you know, we, we would all agree that the that you start with an assessment to see where you are on a maturity curve. And based on some of the data you know, it was looking at, and you can almost put it in a few different tiers. You know, certainly, at least with, you know, the experience, you know, part of this, you know, do you have some kind of organizational value and norms and you're actively promoting your culture around as some kind of shared vision? And then you kind of get to the next tier. Do you have you know different practice, you know best practices that managers can share and adapt? Uh, KPIs that might measure employee experience, and you know even important for just about every organization is you know are we quantifying this you know quantifying experience in financial terms? So if we're going to be making investments in employee experience and hybrid work. What is my business actually going to get out of that? And, you know, of course, working cross-functionally, you know, whether it be, you know, across business units and technology teams and HR, real estate teams, so that we're collectively making decisions, utilizing KPIs. But interestingly, when had run a large survey, 800 leaders, probably one of the things that leapt out the most. And, you know, these were, you know, when we asked the question, you know, are you delivering a great experience for your employees? And they were self-identifying. We did a regression analysis to test it. But those that were doing it best and they were delivering the best employee experiences in their organizations were employing a set of human-centric, empathy-driven activities. You know, so are they measuring and analyzing experience in their organizations, taking over the devices, the applications, and using that insight to improve that experience? Are they thinking in terms of employee personas and segments, you know, so that they can develop and maybe scientifically develop empathy 
and be able to scale that? You know, are they doing things like employing, the, you know, I held up sticky notes, but are they doing things like employing design thinking? Again, you know, developing greater empathy for the workforce. Are they thinking in terms of journey maps and, okay, what are the day-to-day tasks of some of the individuals of my employees? Can I make them better? You know, using some of the things that we've learned in customer experience. And as we think about customers and flipping them, turning them inwards for employees, hey, are we thinking about their daily journeys or their career journeys and gathering insights and, you know, making improvements based on that. And what do you think the biggest blocker is to achieving hybrid maturity, Chris? You know, it's funny, as part of the workshops that I run with customers, you know, we do something called a vision workshop, which is intended to help develop a goal state, identify blockers, and then brainstorm solutions. These are very fun sessions. You know, we use a tool, Miro, you know, of course, when we're able to get together in person, you do it with the, you know, sticky notes. And I think there's a variety of, and by the way, you know, you push the leaders to put themselves, walk a mile in their employees' shoes. What do you want them to think, feel, do, and then say, okay, you know, if we have this vision of what great looks like, for those employees, what's getting in our way. So to an individual cost, of course, always comes up. Where am I gonna make my investments? Where am I gonna get the biggest bang for the buck? Gaining more support within an organization. Can I bring people along, you know, again, gather more funds and investments? Dealing with legacy, of course, is always a really big deal, especially in the technology side. You know, as we're trying to be more agile, flexible, you know, unfortunately, a lot of organizations deal with like this big boat anchor of, of legacy that they have to contend with. And of course, you know, with all of the turbulence in, in work right now, a lot of teams are short staffed. You know, they don't necessarily have the knowledge, the skills. You know, I think and just one thing that I think continually comes up from IT leaders is that they feel they lack marketing skills. So, and that has an impact in a couple of different ways because we I talked earlier about empathy. So part of that empathy is saying better understanding your customer so that you can tailor and tune your services, but also kind of communicate your value back to the business so that you know you gain more authority and favor, you know, to continue to, you know, push ahead in your strategy. So I, I would say those are some of the biggest uh, areas, cost, legacy, staffing, marketing. Unfortunately, you could spend a lot of time on a lot of the challenges. <laughs> of course. So, yeah, Kurt, I was going to come to you next, actually, about uh, the biggest blockers that, uh, that you're seeing when regards to uh, achieving this hybrid maturity. And I, I'm quite interested, you know, as a, a C-level executive, um, what's, uh, is there any sort of pushback from the board or, or from the other sort of C-suite team stopping you from getting that sort of hybrid mature workplace? I think generally we've got the support of all of our senior staff members in terms of carrying on the way we're working and improving it. The real challenge are, are practical. As long as the technology works and as long as we're considering the impact on our frontline customers and service users you know we've got adult social care children's services if we're changing things and we're doing things differently we've still got to be mindful that sometimes we've got frontline staff that goes in people's hands and some services aren't in the best position to be adapting that type of technology or that approach so we need to consider that and of course then we need to there's the potential people blockers as well you know we're a large organization you may have your senior team on board but there's the middle managers or the the next layer down you've got to make sure 
are on that journey with you. And I think as a county council, we are, you know, we've, we've been very clear, communicated very clearly that things are not going to go back to the way they were before. And we are doing things differently, but you still get the odd pushback because people say, well, if it's not broke, why would you fix it? And things like that. And the odd question, you know, a year ago, we were getting odd, odd questions about when are we going back in the office? Well, the answer is now and again, but probably never. <laughs> if I can run a whole ICT team and an innovation team and they don't need to go in the office, many parts of the business can continue that way. In terms of the future, though, you know, we're going to have to keep pushing hard could keep changing things and keep reevaluating um, how we work and how we operate. And that does include some of the stuff Chris has said about, you know, you've got to keep talking to people. You've got to understand them. You've got to survey them. You've got to take on board what they're saying, because actually a part of the key is, is your own staff helping you on that journey. So if you don't do those things, that could be a significant blocker. I wanted to jump. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Kurt, too, because there's a, if you don't mind, I'd love to interject that, one of my colleagues in, you know, I've got a colleague in our, you know, Citrix's IT organization, you know, we've talked about experience and, you know, there's a couple of terms that he used that I think resonate really well. And it, it is about listening is, you know, sometimes, you know, the classic ways that, you know, an IT organization you know, listens to their workforce is, you know, maybe looking at help desk ticket data. But a lot of that, especially when you've lost so much in-person communication, you know, we have what we call the silent sufferers. You know, those are the people that are essentially, if you're, you take that point of view, they're invisible because they're not showing up. You know, maybe they've given up, they're frustrated, they're annoyed, and they don't care enough, or they think they can help themselves better than, you know, your org might be able to help them, and they go off on their own. So there's silent sufferers. And the second term there is, you know, sometimes when you look at that kind of data, you know, that rearward looking, you know, maybe help desk ticket, you end up with these like, uh, what's the term, the watermelon SLAs. So, you know, things look green on the outside, you know, hey, you know, no problems here, no complaints. But the problem is if you look right under that, there's a lot of red and, you know, a lot of pain, you know, inside. If you were actually, you know, to peel back the layer. That's a very interesting analogy, Chris. I was wondering when you were talking then about staff and, and listening to staff and, and making sure, you know, you're catering to their needs. The question comes to mind, how is your hybrid maturity, sorry, how is your hybrid work strategy or your employee experience strategy, what role does that have with regards to retaining talent and also attracting the right talent? I mean, it's quite a quite an important topic. I don't know, Chris, are you seeing, are you seeing that it's impacting, you know, people staying and, and loving working at Citrix? So, you know, I think the experience does play you know, a huge role. You know, I mentioned earlier that one of our biggest human motivators is actually getting things done. And, you know, you can kind of follow a chain of logic here, you know, so, you know, businesses have seen that engaged employees deliver some incredible outcomes. So they deliver, you know, you look at a lot of, you know, wherever the research is coming from, it always points to engaged employees deliver better customer, better customer experiences. They're less likely to leave. Also important to a business is that engaged employees dip into something called discretionary effort. So wonderful study years ago by IBM and Global Force at the time, or Work Human, I think is their name now. And they identified that engaged employees were about 95% of engaged employees, 95, 97, nearly all of them were likely to expend something called discretionary effort, meaning they're going to do work that falls outside of their job description. 
they care about the success of the organization. That number drops, by the way, to the floor for disengaged employees. You know, and what is an engaged employee? You know, engagement is the outcome of a continued positive employee experience. And so, you know, feeding into that experience, everything that goes into that, and a big component of that is helping people make progress in their work, get things done every day. In IT, we have a pretty big role in either helping somebody get work done every day or hindering them from getting work done every day. You know, the, you know, you can put somebody on two paths, you know, choose the path. You know, do you want them to put on a path to engagement or a path to burnout? You know, what's being asked of them, they don't necessarily have the resources to get those things done. Is that something you agree with, Kurt? And uh, what are you guys doing over there to attract and, and retain the right talent? I love this question, particularly <laughs> because your listeners and, and, and you people out there may have heard the term the great resignation. And since the pandemic, people can work anywhere, you know, in the UK, they don't have to work in London to get a higher salary and all of that. So many organisations, including public sector, are experiencing people reevaluating where they work, what they get out of it, and who they should work for. And we're finding that in some areas, it's a challenge to retain staff and then to then recruit if they do leave. But we, but hey, we have a role, you know, make the environment a good place to work, make it flexible and uh, help people develop. And now if they then develop and move on, you've still done a good job, I think, but it does make it difficult with a high turnover. And one of the things for me is actually reevaluating what our offer is to, the, to our employees and how we present it is, is quite key because if you use the wrong terminology or present it in the right wrong way, you may be encouraging someone to leave rather than stay. So the flexibility of not having to drive to work and commute, the ability to do hours that may be more suit you or your family lifestyle, the opportunity to spend more time for you, with your family. You know, I've experienced it over the last two years where my daughter has been home from uni and working from home, so I've got to see her when I wouldn't have. So, you know, there's many facets to it, but we mustn't forget that actually people who work for us have more options now and it's easier for them. So we've got to put more effort in to try and retain them. And let's look at the sort of technology versus human. It's uh, not the dilemma, but it's um, where if you had to get that sort of hybrid maturity in place, where would you invest uh, your money right now, Chris? Would you, you invest in the people or would you invest in the technology? Probably somewhere right in the middle. I would invest sure. in listening. And what I mean by that is, you know, do I have a mechanism in place in my organization to develop greater empathy? You know, one thing I, in, in talking with some fantastic uh, experienced leaders, you know, in different parts of the organization, we talked about a model of, of with layers of listening. So am I getting some kind of top line signal? You know, understanding, you know, sometimes we have like pulse surveys or annual surveys that we might run, run as an organization. Those will tell us where the heat is. But do I have the budget to then peel back the layers and saying, okay, if my employees are, say, having trouble communicating or meeting or, you know, whatever I might hear from that pulse survey, can I peel back the layers and better understand what that means to the individuals? Is it, you know, say, like communications is it working with customers? Is it working internally? Do we have, you know, is it a tools issue, stability, whatever it might be? You know, I need to better understand that and then have a mechanism so I can better prioritize that, taking that back to these, like, say, employee pilots, 
you know, so that, you know, they can help me prioritize. Uh, Kurt will be, you know, I'm sure Kurt doesn't have a uh, endless checkbook, you know, to write or make investments. So I, I, I need to figure out, okay, how can I prioritize, you know, get the biggest bang for the buck and then also just work with employees to develop those solutions, refine, you know, talked about refinement, you know, I need to be able to continually improve those solutions. And by the way, also communicate back to them like, hey, you know, you helped, we created this together, you know, so that they feel good, you know, that they've had a role in all of it. It helps with uh, IT's uh, perception in an organization. What about you, Kurt? I've got a slightly unusual answer for this, I think. My first gut feel on this is, is this the people? You know, you, we can't do anything without our people, but you have to invest time in to understand what works for them. And it's not the same for everyone. You know, everybody has a different angle on this. And the tech is, is still developing, it's still immature in some areas, isn't it? But what I would say is our people do bring along some consumer tech that they use at home as well, don't they? So... I'm sort of not answering your question, but I'm elaborating on it a bit more because uh, I, I see the more and more people are working in a hybrid way, the more and more their experience of consumer tech they're going to bring to the office. And we, we as businesses and organisations are going to benefit from that, which then means that actually we should be listening to our people. And when they come in with ideas and consumer tech from home and all of those things, we should be investing some time to understand what they're trying to show us and tell us. So, you know, they're the ones who will bring uh, new innovations and ways of working and build on what we're providing as an organization and i'll give you an example one one of the things that's forefront in my mind at the moment is as an organization like many we give everybody a, a laptop or a screen or whatever to connect to us and we have to go through the cycle of refreshing it every so many years or, or whatever it is you know that's quite painful or can be when you've got seven and a half thousand users to to service now there are other ways to crack that, but, you know, it wouldn't it be nice if we were, and I'm not saying we're doing this, but there's something we could do is say to people, go and buy your own tech. We'll help you make it safe and secure, but you get to choose because it's in your home environment. You get, get something that you really want. And that could change the game yet again with employees because we're doing something different. And there's other things like that. Everyone's got a mobile phone. Are we using the apps in local government and from the consumer world? as much as we could, because there's a lot of tech out there that could help them work in a hybrid way. So my answer really is we need to work where our people understand them and listen to them. Chris, is there any other ways to listen to the employees apart from these sort of surveys and support tickets? Is there anything else that um, is worth noting, like some form of AI or was that getting a bit evasive? Well, I, you know, I think for the largest organizations in the world, th there are some that leadership teams I've spoke to that actually do get these like daily polls, and they will use AI to examine employee sentiment, you know, like the really futuristic side of things like, yes, you know, there are organizations like that. There are precious few that do that today, but the probably the most effective way is far less technologically sophisticated, but just talking even to some that you might not normally, especially was working with some employee experience leaders, you know, encouraging them to kind of step outside their comfort zone, whether they be IT, HR, or otherwise, you know, talking to employees. I ran a workshop years ago with a panel of uh, HR, IT, and customer experience leaders, and even running like a taste of design thinking session with them. You know, they to an individual afterwards, they said that was eye-opening. You know, so we actually had 
you know, company employees coming in and we were helping design a better office space for them, you know, actually using employees and, you know, from different parts of the business. And to an individual that said, wow, that was fantastic. I hadn't really thought about, you know, you get a lot of different perspective. It allows you to reframe how you might have thought of things, you know, because it helps bring in a lot more perspective than you might otherwise have had. I think there's another angle on this that we haven't spoken about yet, which is a mature hybrid working environment includes different agencies, different companies, different suppliers, all working together because it enables that. So you don't all have to be in a county council building or a Citrix building. You could be in a coffee shop down the road and all still working together. And I think that's one of the other things that that we need to recognise. You know, the new world is very different. It's not based around buildings. It's not based necessarily around employees individually, but around tasks and programmes, projects and innovation. That's quite an interesting angle. I've never thought of it like that. But, yeah, combining, I guess having that sort of um, fluid collaboration between everyone that you're working with would be i would class as a pretty mature work experience and um i mean chris is that something that you agree with is that something you see happening already in the workplace i think there has been a you know i think as we have been forced to physically you know not be together you know having you know certainly you know, platforms like um, you know, Slack or Teams or, uh, you, know, or you know, pick your, you know, social platform or collaborative platform. It has given rise to these. So you are certainly that is becoming a bigger, bigger part of anybody's uh, employee technology strategy. Yeah. And let's look at the future and uh, what it might bring. Are there any, I guess, um, technologies about hybrid working or not that, that you're excited about, Chris, that, that are worth uh, talking about? Besides Citrix desktop as a service? I mean, I say that jokingly. Obviously, you know, coming from where I do, you know, we're excited, you know, you know, we're talking about allowing for more flexibility, agility in the workplace, delivering desktops, applications to, you know, a greater, you know, diverse set of, of devices. I might control, I might not control, you know, catering to different, you know, parts of, of, of the business, whether it be contact centers or, you know, other constituencies and just allowing for greater flexibility for organizations to determine like, okay, where do I hire and, you know, where can I draw talent from? So that, of course, is you know, important to me. I also just uh, see, you know, personally, you know, we're we're still, you know, at the beginning of another wave of automation. It's both for IT organizations, allowing them to do more and more, you know, burying the mundane stuff they might do every day. You know, I was an IT, you know, boiler watcher at times, just sitting there staring at lights on a server, making sure they weren't broken, you know, that something wasn't going wrong. But you know, as we automate, you know, it allows, you know, we can increase the security of devices. We can allow people to do, you know, more and better things, get deeper into the business so that they can better support business outcomes, but also automation for people as well. You know, having the intelligence to look into some of the workflows, you know, things that we do, automate them, get that stuff out of somebody's way so that they can, you know, they're going to feel like they've gotten more done and, you know, allow them to do, you know, bigger, better things for my organization. I mean, Kurt, is that something that, that you're looking at um, at the, the council? Are you looking to automate more tasks like that? Yeah, I'll elaborate. So we've introduced robotic process automation in a number of areas, some 14 areas so far, and it's been a great success. You know, it takes some of the 
low-hanging fruit and we deal with it quickly so our staff can concentrate more on some of the more complex things they need to do. Um, I think there's several areas of innovation that we could consider here. There's the bit about data and artificial intelligence, you know, and automating stuff on the back of what the data is telling us. But at the real front end of that, to collect that data, you need things like IoT. So I'll give you a real example that we're experimenting with at the moment, which is that we're putting sensors in people's homes to help them live independently longer. Now, you may say, well, how does that affect hybrid working? Well, the reality is we're getting a, a larger demands on our resources to help, so more people to help. We're getting shrinking budgets, and we need to make sure we deploy our staff in the right places. Now, our staff, our, our skilled staff, social workers or, or whoever, they, they need good information so they can make better decisions about where they work, who they go and see, who they visit, who they help, who they call. So that technology can make a major difference to that. But the different, the real difference is that makes a difference to real people's lives. You know, people, are they going to end up in care or not? And I think it's all about giving our, our staff the tools so they can choose which is the best hybrid way to work. The other things around the technology uh, in terms of innovation and hybrid working, I just want to go way out there. There's things like VR, um, virtual reality out there where people have been experimenting with somebody on the uh, in front of a screen and somebody else working hybridly using a VR headset, looking at cabinets or whatever they do for their day job. I think there's probably developed some real, real practical use examples of those. They're coming, but they're not here yet. So I think we need to look at all of these things. But the big one for me is, once again, I'll go back to consumer tech. You know, we've got these really powerful computers in our hands that are mobile phones, and they can help with our hybrid working in terms of booking meetings, in terms of telling people where they need to go, where's the priority, capturing notes, all of those things. I'm not sure we use enough of them yet, and we should be more and more. So uh, we are sort of approaching the end uh, of this uh, interview. I guess one of the things I like to ask, uh, because you know, we want to make sure we cover off everything, but Chris, you know, from your perspective, is there anything that's not getting enough attention with regards to the future of work or regards to you know, employee experience? You've chatted to a lot of these experience um, leaders. Is there stuff that, that they're talking about now that, that you think deserves some airtime? That's a great question. I was not getting the airtime because I think you know, we're constantly bombarded by so much. You know, I think the trap I've seen some fall back into as we've kind of settled into you know, we've kind of gone out of, made it past that initial kind of urgent reaction to, you know, sending people home is that sometimes we tend to fall back into old behaviors, you know, not, you know, whereas I might've really had to amp up my listening, you know, when people weren't there, you know, I start to fall back into assuming, you know, I might know, you know, what somebody needs to get their work done because I have some of those same you know, pressures that I always did around budget or, you know, timing, I might lack the resources. And this is a tough one, but, you know, I, I think sometimes fear comes into play. I'm afraid of what I might hear if I ask somebody what they want and what they need or what their experience is like, because I, I'm worried that I might not be able to help. And what about you, Kurt, on that note? Do you agree, first of all, with Chris? And is that something you've experienced? I do agree with Chris, but I think for me, there's a bigger thing on this. So we've all learned quite a few things over the last couple of years. 
And the the one that always jumps out at me is that people's risk appetite, organisations' risk appetite. What I'm worried about is that we don't fall back into the old risk appetite, which is actually, as Chris said, fearful of stuff. So what we need to do is give that some attention and go, right, you know, before we were like this, we're like this now. It works for us. Let's keep that risk appetite and challenge ourselves and say, why aren't we making these decisions? Why aren't we doing things quicker? Why aren't we prepared to do that? And I think if we lost that, we will slowly slip back into how we were. Any final useful tips for C-suite leaders around the world, Chris, who are are looking at, um, you know, getting to a level of hybrid maturity? You know, ultimately, the one thing we haven't spent as much time on, you know, we've talked about the importance of progress and focusing on progress in the workforce. And that's important, you know, maybe just to put a finer point on it, taking, uh, you know, if we want to focus on experience, you know, help people get their work done, make progress in their work to have greater empathy for the workforce. And by the way, there is a science to it. You know, we talked about layers of listening, which is important. And the third rung of that, or I should say the third leg of that stool is partnership in the organization. And that, you know, tends to feel like a throwaway. But what specifically I mean by that is, yes, IT, HR, real estate, other business leaders do need to get into the same room. One of the most effective ways that we've done that is a vision workshop. I touched on that a little bit earlier, but hey, can we collectively as a group understand what great looks like so that we can have a very diverse perspective, develop greater empathy for the other leaders in the room and what it means to them so that we can partner effectively, you know, understand each other's challenges and then brainstorm collectively solutions to get around some of those roadblocks that we might face to get collectively to that vision of great. Yeah, I've seen one of your workshops uh, live on a digital event at the Chief Wine Officer. It was was pretty special, even in that short amount of time, what you could get out of the people that were taking part was pretty special. So great advice. Thanks, Chris. And it was more special with wine too, which uh, (laughs) didn't hurt the brain. Yeah, it didn't hurt. (laughs) And then Kurt, what about you? Um, What advice would you give for other people in your position with regards to achieving that maturity? The main thing I would say is this needs to be led from the top. If you've got an organization and your leaders of, of that organization aren't trying to work in a hybrid way, aren't leading by example, then you can't expect the rest of your organization to be doing it. They won't take it seriously and your staff won't. So they need to be doing it. They need to be practical about it, of course, but they also need to be the ones asking some of the real probing questions. And the problem is, You don't want those people shying away from asking some of the challenging questions like, why is your whole team in the office? Why aren't they using the technology? You need them to be demonstrating and using it and expect people to engage with them in that way. So I can't emphasize that enough. Get your leaders to be doing that. Get as many of your managers doing that. And then everybody else will follow because that becomes the culture of the organization. And that's the only way you've got to change the culture. You've got to be doing it yourself. Thank you both. Thank you for that. Um, that does bring a, us to a close of this um, this panel discussion around how do large organizations achieve hybrid maturity. So, Chris, thank you for your time. Kurt, thank you as well for yours and for both your insights. It's been a pleasure hosting you on this. Likewise. Thank you, Craig. And you know, it's been a pleasure, Kurt. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Great. Thank you. And if you do like what you hear, please be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, listen to the rest of the series as well. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.